0: Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring.
1: Good evening watchers and listeners and welcome to another cracking episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. This week we are going to go both close to home and away as we look into the future. So we've got a combination of Tuesday is a another full council meeting and i think it was last tuesday charlie three rocked up at parliament to lay down some sweet beats and tunes as he did his king's speech to outline the government's plans for the next year yeah i sure that's how it was described
0: but i mean it was described in um in various ways by um by different observers um i haven't kind of seen any stats that tell us how um what the average length of a no- of a normal king's or queen's speech was or is um this obviously being our first king's speech for seventy two years. Yeah. Um and yeah, I mean it, it lays out the legislative legislative agenda for the government um for the parliamentary year ahead. Um but it doesn't limit their legislative agenda to what's actually in the speech. So in that respect It's it's just a bit of these are the things that they said that they're going to do, but they might not they might not do them and they might add some other things.
1: Yeah, it's kind of menu, isn't it? Yeah. But it's a little bit like looking at the menu online three months before you visit the restaurant. They might all still be there. There might be some stuff you like, some stuff you're not so keen on. And by the time you get there, there's a chance some of those dishes will be off and they'll be replaced with others. But uh, I think we're going to start by looking closer to home and. I know how much our councillors love looking forward to a full council meeting on Tuesday, but this one looks like, I mean, last time, Tom Coles, well, I mean, he kept good order. I think this time there's a chance there could be a home in time for tea, couldn't they, Simon?
0: Uh, yeah, it a, it's a very, very different agenda this time round. There's only nine um, items on the agenda. Um, and there's only, oh, he's lost count. There's what? Um and the notices of motion only go all the way up to F, so it's it's not going to be um, a, as much this time round. But yeah, we can quickly rattle through the through the notices of motion and um, and chew the fat over them, shall we? Yeah, let's give that a go. Okay, in one. <laughs> so. Eight A, that one that I know is a favourite of yours. Um, there is a Portsmouth City Council support for the real living wage. So, talking about uh, oh, the nice. real living wage, uh, a motion from uh, from the Labour group from
1: Labour, so, the Labour group, you say, good lord.
0: Um, so, uh, Councillor George Fielding and Councillor Mary Vallely, um who had her excellent um, uh, maiden speech um, in the chamber la- um, last last time round, um, but this one is um, so. Previous motions had kicked backwards and forwards the whole conversation about the council, um, uh, the council paying the living wage to its staff, um, and um, essentially what this this motion talks about is, but Portsmouth City Council aren't a living wage accredited employer, um, no. even though um, the port that they that the city council actually own, Portico um is actually a, an accredited living wage employer and has been since August um this year so it's been so for a couple of months um uh, and there's various facts in there about um how that how an increase in minimum wages translates into into retail sales so how those things um help the local economy uh, but basically this motion says um hey can we do some stuff about looking about getting ourselves accredited or um um Basically, can we look at sustainable funding for that going forward? So it's the it's trying to kind of bake that in, I think, into um into into budgets going forward in in that sort of sense.
1: <sighs>
0: you're going to be I excited just... and overwhelmed and deeply in agreement with this one, I guess.
1: No, I'm not. It's a pig in a dress, isn't really? it? Uh, okay. I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, you know, the council has been through this. This motion has come in various guises. And for me, this this smacks of... uh, It feels like a gotcha motion to me because there's an element of I don't understand what the accreditation is for living wage. I don't know what that does for you. In terms of whether that makes you a more attractive or less attractive employer, I don't, I, I'm unsure of all of that. But there's a part of me that says, you know, that the, if you remember those previous motions, it wasn't just that the council paid all of its workers, it was that any subcontractor for the council also paid all of its workers the living wage. And our friend, the jovial Steve Pitt, back at the time when he wasn't council leader, pointed out that. That would tear a, I can't remember, six or 12 or a multi-million pound hole in the finances that couldn't be filled. So I am, this one looks like there'll be a lot of talk and shouldn't we all do good stuff? It will probably get voted through that we should look at it. Or there'll be something which means that the council can't be accredited so that our friends in Labour can hold it up again and go, ha ah. The council is not a living wage employer.
0: Um, I, I, I don't understand. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't get the kind of, unless there's some sort of technical reason why uh, why it can't be, which will be interesting to, uh, to hear on the debate. But um, to me, it seems quite a sensible thing. In quite a few areas of the council, they struggle to keep uh, and, re- sorry, they struggle to recruit and retain staff. So um, any form of accreditation that's going to help um make that clearer that that um that applicants are indeed existing um colleagues um understand that that's the case. Um, I, I, I don't I'd fail to see how that's a, that's a bad thing if the money's already going to be spent, but well, why not get the accreditation?
1: Well, the accreditation with these things usually means that uh, for you to get accredited, you, you know in this case, my presumption would be you've got to be paying the living wage everywhere. and if that includes subcontractors as well, the council can't do that. So it, it, we'll see how Tuesday unfolds, but this feels like another another attempt to do the, why isn't the council playing the living wage? And the council says, because we can't afford to, because of the cuts by the horrid Tories, yada, yada, yada. And, and maybe that's the pantomime that's going to play out. Maybe I'm just being cynical. Um, And this is where, for me, let's put a positive spin on this, because I don't think we give our council enough credit at times. You know, I've been watching with interest over the last few weeks Hampshire County Council with its 160-something million hole in its budget and them having to slash and burn services left, right and centre. Well, you don't run that bill up overnight, and I think it's a credit to all of our councillors that They have historically run the the city with a balanced budget and haven't got a massive backlog. It's why I think or why I perceive gesture politics like this is rather unhelpful. But maybe I'm getting old and cynical and bitter in my
0: in my advancing years. Answers on a postcard. We'll have a poll in the chat um yes. as to as to whether you're cynical so um eight b is um is also from the labor group so from uh, councillor graham heaney and councillor yinka Adenaran um and that's um asking for the council to um to consider basically being uh, um being involved with the age friendly city project um that calls on several things there's some information on the sorts of things that um that planners or that designers of city policy um should be should be kind of considering it. it it looks at things like um essentially having an age-friendly community with the opportunities to enjoy life and feel well to participate in um in a society and be valued for their contribution have enough money to live well and um, feel safe comfortable and secure at home um having access to quality um to, to, to quality health and care um talks a bit about um you know the various ways that transportation kind of got kind of basic things of um making sure that you know the pavements are flat and level where possible so that they're not a trip hazard that they're safe and well lit i know um trip hazard um, pavements are is an issue close to your heart um so i've uh,
1: i've got i've got my piece of pavement without you, wishing to derail this wow. after just two and two and a bit years well that's the the Ma, the the, the um tactile curb is is now there i'm, I'm delighted it's it's finally Excellent.
0: arrived but some um, progress I, I expect to see it, it on, some, on someone's social media soon so um Yeah, to be honest with you, a lot of these seem like common sense things, Um, so hopefully they're things that are being considered, uh, you know, about having houses with elevators, wide passages, even floors with with no stairs, um, having access to to health and um, social um, resources um, within kind of residential areas so that so that as people get older, they're not having to deal with being in unfamiliar areas or indeed feeling unsafe going out into places so that that kind of leads them isolated at home. Mm. Um, having access to safe, um, affordable, accessible public transport with helpful drivers and, and station staff. So all of those things hopefully are pretty kind of common sense and, and should be kind of the norm with regard to how we design our communities um mm. so hopefully there's there's no kind of shock as to that's not something that that people could disagree with and if anything I think a lot of those things that that's calling for don't just apply to um to older people they they apply to lots of other groups as well so you know common yeah. sense
1: and, and and I think this one is a very noble cause and I think when you look at the built environment I think it is you know it's one of those things where actually to, to build in accessibility and to look at the community spaces that you design, then I think it is absolutely, you know, it, it is right that you should build these things in. I think the challenge comes with a with a packed-dense city that is multiple hundreds of years old, and that's where, you know, there's always this tension. You know, if we look at the Guildhall Square as an example, you know, with the library and the council offices you know it, it, they are not you know the 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 most accessible buildings that you're ever going to come across yes there are ramps but they're relatively steep ramps and you know they are kind of in the center of town but you know it, it is that piece where i i think you know very very essential to build in going forward how much you can retrofit to what already exists that's where the 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 numbers and the feasibility start to come unstuck but no excellent thing to promote for, for the way we design things going forward
0: okay so 8c so maybe they'll rattle through them as quickly as we are hopefully hopefully they will um mm. so uh, so the next one um another another labor motion um from councillor Valerie and councillor fielding again uh so portsmouth city council support for the improvement of women and girls sport in portsmouth um there's some quite interesting um interesting figures that they they put into the into their motions i must admit quite a lot of the time as someone that looks into researching these things um or the or at least the, the things that are being discussed at council what's what's quite useful with i notice as a trend in the in the labor motions they always put their sources Mm. Um, so I we'll find that kind of quite useful um, so if you do want to kind of get into the weeds of kind of where this where this has come from that's that's kind of an interesting way to do it the headline figure they're talking there is that just under 29% of females in Portsmouth um, are taking part in less than 30 minutes of activity a week um, yep. and over half of that, that figure are, are taking part in no activity in the last 28 days so there's quite a big kind of gap um, what the motion doesn't do is is try to understand what mm. the causes of that discrepancy of that difference are and um, what it is that's 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 the barriers um, to to women being involved in sports so um, it the motion also ca- calls out um, the work of uh, Lizzie butcher who've formerly um, worked for bH live um, in increasing women's participation in sports across the city um, But it's asking the council to work with education establishments to ensure um, equality in their community use of sports facilities and, where appropriate, um, seek to increase the provision of space for female sports um, and to uh, work with leisure facility providers on on how to improve gender equality in sport. So it it would be interesting to understand what those barriers are and how those are are broken down. But surely at the end of the Mm. day... You know, we we all understood from uh, from COVID how important um, exercise and open spaces are, and how important what an important play and um, part um, sport can play in physical and mental well being. So yep. it, it's really concerning that that you know for fifty percent of the population, their contribution um, or their involvement in in sports facilities isn't um, isn't the same. So what is causing that? and get to the roots of it and work through it? Well, yes. But. Okay, there's a but.
1: um, Well, there is a but, because I actually think this is quite a misleading. Because what it tells you, it tells you about women and girls' participation in sport. But what it doesn't tell you is about boys and men's participation in sport so you have a situation where the presumption of the motion is inequality but looking through it i couldn't find any data to support that and as you know i love sport and i work in cricket i'm um, previously been a member of the committee at portsmouth rugby football club and if you look at all the stats girls' participation and women's participation in sports is on the increase. Now, it talks about, quote, unquote, women or or female sports. Now, again, I I sort of struggle with that in terms of raising an eyebrow, because I would say that, historically, cricket, football, rugby would not have been considered female sports. But what you're actually seeing is a rise in participation in female sport and a massive deterioration in participation in men's sport. So if I give you a working example, and I'm sure the Rugby Club won't mind me sharing this with you because when I was involved on the committee three, four years ago, um, the Rugby Club pre-pandemic, the Rugby Club was putting out four men's side every week and one women's side. And if you go back 10 years, probably 15 years, the Rugby Club, Portsmouth Rugby Club, was putting out five men's side and didn't really have enough women to put a side together. If you look at the club now, they're putting out two to three men's sides regularly and there are as many female players registered as there are men. We've seen a fantastic growth in female participation. So whilst I I fundamentally agree with the premise that we want as many people as possible to take part in physical activity, I, I am not sure that the focus should be on an area that's seeing, or we focus a disproportionate amount of energy into a, a gender position where one gender is increasing participation and another gender's participation is falling rapidly. Um, I, I think I think this motion is actually looking at the wrong side of the coin.
0: Yeah, but if, if what you're saying is that... Um... Is that the participation of men and boys is is dropping? Um, yep. Then surely that like would mean stone. that that would mean that the situation, so the disparity between between of the gendered involvement in, in sports, is even is even worse. Because if if what you're saying is that the the participation of men and boys is is going down, but even with it going down, um, they're actually still um there's there's actually still a, a massive involvement um missing all um in in sport of, of women and girls then i mean surely at the end of the day we'd expect to see over you know all, all things being equal how numbers kind of work out Yep that that the participation would be um would be reflective of the of, of the diversity of, of the population and if it's not and if it's as far yep. out as this as these as these um, metrics um, say that they are. Then, it, it, it's worth and, understanding and... what those barriers are and, and and addressing and addressing those. That doesn't mean that that's a, that's a, to the detriment of um, of of sport inclusion of men and boys, does it? It just means that we need to understand what the barriers are to women and girls being involved and and remove those barriers. No,
1: it depends how you want to see equality reached. If you want to see equality re- reached by men's par- men's and boys' participation falling to such a level that it's it, it, it falls down to the level that female particip- participation is, then you've reached parity. Um, I personally don't think that's something to be celebrated. Uh, and as I say, the trajectory of both at the moment is they are going to meet in terms of parity fairly soon. Because if you look at the change in the dynamic of women's football, women's rugby, women's cricket, you know they are all being shown on mainstream um you know that there is a lot of external energy being put into those sports, and I absolutely celebrate that i I, I think the piece for me that I you know I, I'm and again this is this is one of those things where well why isn't there a men's it, I'm not saying that what I'm saying is that that if we we should be looking to increase participation in sport. For everybody absolutely and uh, i think that the uh, you know from everything i i learn and know through my involvement with cricket and rugby is that female participation is on the rise it's on a growth curve and we should continue to invest in that the flip side of that is that participation by boys and men is falling like a stone and i don't see motions to address that
0: okay See that point so we'll see how um how that one uh, calls out but the things that it's called mm. is calling for um to be honest um uh, 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 you know are pretty sensible with a lot of these things because of because of our system obviously we've got a, a cabinet um a system yep. of administration in portsmouth a lot of these things are calling for the cabinet member to do x or to write to or to write to person y or the calling on the local mps to do x or y um so it's it's really a case of kind of putting onto the books i think th- these are the things that um that are being highlighted um it, I- it is of course interesting that um there aren't any motions from the administration you know from the from the liberal democrats um on nope. this uh, on this one so um read into that what yeah. you know does does that signify yeah. something in the sense of that the opposition parties feel a greater need to uh, to demonstrate that they um, that there's a voice or that they've got um that they're identifying yeah. issues to say i don't, i don't know what that i don't know what that in itself says um about about how a council works or or indeed mm. actually about the the focus of the the administration but obviously opposition parties have got much more to gain by trying to gain the momentum as it were um, yeah. and um, and get voices heard
1: well, I think it's always something strange, isn't it, where the Liberal Democrats bring to full council a, a a motion for them calling on themselves to do the things that they can already do. So, yeah, I guess we shouldn't be that surprised. But um, what have we got in number three or four? Four.
0: Number four. four. So, so four is um, so four is about supporting local um, producers. So this is uh, from the Conservative camp. So Councillor uh, Benedict Swan and Councillor Lewis Gosling um, basically calling on the council to uh, recognise the huge contribution um, and I'm quoting from it, made by our regional farmers, growers, wider wider food and drink industry to our local economy um, environment and wider rural uh, communities um, it calls on some things about making space at the international ferry port to uh, to showcase um, local products um, and local um, um, local you know local um, food and etc food and drink um so that that um so that people um coming into the to the ferry to the cruise terminal um can see them uh, and also about um encouraging residents where possible to um to shop to shop locally um mm. what's your um i i had a look on it. i came up short trying to find any local farms in the city but you
1: well in the city in the yeah this is a slightly strange one isn't it is that um you know again our, our chums in milton i'm not quite aware of not milton um Copner. i'm not i'm not overly aware of great tracts of arable land in Copner that we're um that, that that are growing things i mean it's a yeah this one's a bit peculiar and i can i can give myself the double thumbs up as today we we visited a, local farm shop but it's uh, all the way over in Hayling. um so uh yeah shout out to stoke fruit farm shop um which is excellent and does some local produce but if i was to claim it was in Portsmouth i'd be fibbing um so yeah i i think there is a piece where you know it is great you know for people to to shop local and to support local growers but i'm not as somebody who's a bit of a foodie, and in fact, I asked this on our, there is a Facebook group called Portsmouth Foodies, and I I asked this a while back, I'm related to this, which is that, you know, do we have in Portsmouth a regional dish, you know, or or like a culinary heritage? And I think the consensus, apart from, well, mixed Monster Burgers are somewhat of an iconic vendor. Um, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure we've got anybody to support. There's some good local brewers.
0: Um, I, um and I mean that. Um, I mean maybe the fact that um, we don't know about them <laughs> is why this motion is needed because we don't know about them. Oh. Um, and they do exist and they're out there. So our apologies if we're doing a disservice, um, to frustrated um food and drink producers in the city. Um. That we don't, we we you know we're aware of you know there's uh, some places in um, Hills the industrial estate there's the gin distillery um, down um, easting, um so th- so, yeah, there yeah, de- so there are there are yeah. there are definitely some places, um but from a perspective of actually there's an opportunity here to showcase local food and of you know there are you know farms over the hill um, et cetera. so obviously not within the bounds of the city but they are still at least yep. local that would be perhaps of interest to. Um, to those visiting the city or on cruise ships, um, so I, I don't know the the very fact that we don't, you know, we can perhaps with a with a slight bit of bemusement or ridicule about well, where are the, where's the field of field of cows in hillsy kind of thing, but there's not the fact that oh, we don't no, know yeah. doesn't doesn't mean that these this isn't kind of irrelevant and may yeah. this isn't a relevant thing and may be calling for. Uh, more attention to be called to that and showcasing that is a is a good idea i mean when you go to pretty much anyone else they'll be showcasing local um local products so yeah, no, and, and to, that,
1: to that point we we have got some great ones you know mm. again um again it's more across the road in 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 uh, hailing island yeah, the northernly farm there does fantastic ice cream every time i go to the new theater royal it's, uh, it's at the interlude i am poised with tub in hand um yeah you talked about uh, in hillsy there's the chili mash company who uh, who are well renowned and I, I think that's possibly why i'm a little bit quizzical about this because i i am interested in you know local producers and you know as you go out through the back of haven there's the adstein farm the happy pigs as many people know them to be you know there there are i think like you say surrounding portsmouth there are some really good local producers and um yeah maybe it's maybe this is the we really do do need to do more to celebrate those those folk who are on our doorstep doing a a jolly good job
0: and and if you are a local producer of food and drink by all means get in touch with us and maybe we'll have an episode on it where you correct us and point out that there is lots of stuff yeah, being yeah. Uh, being produced locally that we um, that we'd love to love to champion. So please do either message us on Facebook or give us an email studio at ppodcast.uk um so the next one um so eight e is um, chloe's motion and this is from the Portsmouth community independence that's um, councillors Kirsty Meller and Cal Corkery um this is um calling on the council to draw attention to uh, to the issue of coercive behavior coercive behavior um and uh, the the sad news that um uh, chloe holland uh, took her life after years of um being the on the, the recipient of uh, coercive and controlling behavior from from her partner um and um uh, and took, uh, took her life as a as a result of the of what she'd been subjected to um what this is what this motion is calling for is calling for the council um, and to write to um, the, um, the MPs and to the Hampshire and Isle of Wight uh, Police and Crime Commissioner, uh, Donna Jones, um, to, to raise uh, the issue and to request the government consider the, um, the possibility of creating a specific statutory offence of manslaughter by coercive or controlling behaviour. Um, so it, indeed a very very serious subject um that uh that I'm sure um will be worth getting looked at. I've just temporarily lost Ian, so hopefully he'll be he'll be back um in a moment. Um the last motion that's on there um is um it is, uh, about the families first for children um Pathfinder so um that motion is uh is by councillor simon bosher and lewis gosling uh, so from the conservative camp um and um that's um that's uh, calling for uh for the council to uh, to make some bids for uh, so the second wave of pathfinder funding um and if there's still chance um to do so um to for, to look at further consideration um and refer back to council uh, for the rationale of of such um uh, stance being taken if, if there isn't a chance to actually do that um and it also calls on the council to uh try and coordinate with reference to applications and for funding and support requests from third sector providers um uh, to either align and support such applications um and to or to take the lead um in making them um and um uh, uh, and to basically to help making those and progressing such uh, such funding requests. So Ian's back. Um, so Ian, sorry, um, we moved on to our,
1: our platform oh. completely disappeared. There suddenly told me told me oh. you were unavailable. So um, yeah, yeah, but I've, um, well, I've I've found my way back. We were just we were just inviting sponsors to uh, to uh, to, or, to or to contact yeah. us, and we would happily. Um, promote their products and then everything welcome, disappeared well, but
0: i'm back, back. I, in the time that you were gone i covered i covered 8e um which was chloe's motion which was uh, mm. basically calling on the council um to engage with hampshire and of white police and crime commissioner uh, donna jones and the two local mps uh, stephen morgan and penny morden um about raising the issue with government um uh, about um considering a a, a specific statutory offence of manslaughter by coercive or controlling uh, behaviour. Um, and mm. then moved on to um, to the Families First for Children Pathfinder, um, which is uh, essentially asking for the council to uh, seek funding for the second from the second wave um, to look at ways um, to to get some funding behind that and also uh, to engage with um, third sector providers that might also be making uh, funding requests um, to try and help co- basically coordinate those um, and, and assist with those um, essentially is what that's um, is what that's doing but it's um, it, it, it looks to um, look for the um, family help and providing support at the right time so that children can thrive um with their with their families and um yeah you know making multi-agency um decisive uh, protection system that works and unlocking uh potential family networks and putting love and relationships in a stable home at the heart of being a child in care so lo- lots of things there that again seem like a, a great deal of yeah. um, of common sense i'm sure there isn't going to be any uh, any disagreement on that one
1: no i can't can't see any discord on that The you know again the the, the The cynic uh, if there's a cynic about might might see the you know there was a lot of a lot of funding was was put into home start many years ago that funding has reduced down and now the council's being invited to bid for new funding it's it's yeah yeah this is an area where you know it it, uh, I, i i believe early intervention funding gives you the best chance of success rather than trying to repair the damage later so yeah, my hope is this one would fly through.
0: Indeed. Okay. So, well, that was the, that was the motions. Um, so, marvellous. That was the notices of motion. Um, we haven't seen the questions to cabinet members yet. They're, they, they, um, they're not on the agenda just yet. Which, I, or I couldn't see them on the link. So, uh, yeah. So, hopefully, um, there won't be that much, um, that much disagreement or or um, or, di- or distress in the in the chamber. No, I, I,
1: I think again. If we saw last month, uh, last month we thought there was chance for stuff. I think there's a, I think there's probably just going to be gentle. That might be the odd points of order, but I think we should fly through. So, should we, um, should we switch chairs then? Because uh, usually it's you doing the heavy lifting and me just ranting and roaring about various things. So it's it's now your chance to take the floor. So in uh in what is all? Well, I think I, I don't know whether it's got. It's definitely going to be the last chance saloon of the uh, of the Conservative government to have their King's Speech, um, because I think technically they they could carry over the election into early twenty twenty five. Yeah, I believe the
0: the latest is that it can be held is is January in twenty twenty five. Um, I, I I can't. Yeah. I mean, not be funny. I'm. I can't see that being at all likely because the last thing people are going to want to be doing is campaigning on wet, cold winter doorsteps through December and through the through the Christmas and New Year period. Um, I think that would make the prime minister uh, uh, even less popular than certain uh, than he already is with certain members of his own party. So,
1: yeah. So so we'll presume this is the last there were 21 pieces of legislation I don't oh. intend to go through them all but I'll pick out a couple of highlights um, and or lowlights depending on your point of view so the first one the offshore petroleum licensing bill um, this is one that says that um, effectively will allow new drill sites in the North Sea to extract um, natural gas and, uh, and oil to reduce our over reliance or our ongoing reliance on foreign fuel sensible and pragmatic or part of the bonfire of the green
0: uh i mean we had a bit of a discussion about this um before when we took when we talked about the delay to the um Mm. to the to the switch to ev charged um ev powered cars um for, for new car purchases um I, I'm kind of I'm I'm split on this because at the end of the day we need to stop burning fossil fuels mm-hmm. because it's literally destroying the planet and making um, and and um, making it, and it's going to make vast parts of it uninhabitable and, and certainly very difficult for people to to live safely and um, and to grow food and gain ac- and have access to, to clean water, all of those things that we probably don't even understand the the, the um the big impacts of yet um so burning burning more of it. Um, does doesn't seem like a really logical thing to do. Um, the argument that the government seems to make about this will give us energy security, but we, th- this goal, th- sorry, th- these this oil or gas isn't isn't only sold into the UK market. It's sold on the world market, so it will go to whoever pays pays mm. the producers um for for that produced uh, material. It was interesting seeing on one of the political programs one of the um one of the members of the conservative party um trying to say that in extremists, the government could pass legislation forcing that um that production to be sold in in the uk which was an interesting thing for a conservative um a party member to um to be trying to claim um mm. so um which was essentially renationalizing um gas and oil production um so i I don't know it's going to make the gas and oil industries a lot of money and they're already making a great deal of money and as as in as as the material that they mine and drill for is it becomes more and more rare it will become more and more expensive Um, but hopefully also as people switch to renewable um, sources of power um, also the demand will go down but the demand. Is coming predominantly from other other parts of the world, or the so it's probably not fair to call them developing economies anymore. Mm. Um, that, um, that that also have also needs um, need need that energy themselves. So again, it's another thing where the world needs to kind of join up uh, and have a have a unified approach, much that it much that it needs in the conversation about AI we had last week. So I I think this is a I think yep. investing in these or allowing these to happen is um i don't think it's i don't i think it's literally unsustainable um but i think the prime minister doesn't have the strength politically to have said actually we're not going to allow anymore um aside from the economic arguments
1: yeah it's a balancing act isn't it because it's that if you're going to burn it for the next 30 years down to your point uh, we we like to think of north sea oil as quote unquote ours. Um you know so there is a piece that says well why wouldn't you but agree with you it's a little bit of a it's a little bit swimming against the tide in this one so moving on to you talked about um places in the world which are mostly uninhabitable um let's talk about the northern network rail um so poking fun at our friends in the north they're, they're not having 36 billion spent on linking up manchester to birmingham but this was the bill that um, that listed a whole array of infrastructure for, um, projects in the north of the country, um, which are the, you can have these instead. I'm guessing this one is a bit more of a thumbs up to the green credentials. Um,
0: I... I... <laughs> See the the thing for me is that national government are really really good at finding ways to to waste money or to spend it on things that aren't actually needed. Yeah. And, and for me the, the the most effective way to do that would be to give the power and the money to the regions that need to spend it and to give them the basically the financial ability to do it and the ability to make the decisions about what's needed for them, what sorts of transport infrastructure that's needed. We can you 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 know, to try to claim that uh, a few extra cheap bus routes um, offsets the the overall economic benefits of having a reliable, accessible, um, and regular train service, it's not it's not the same thing, is it?
1: Well, this, well they well, and here's where I'm going to step in because the, and this is where I've always struggled with HS2. Uh, uh, somebody who's forced to travel to Manchester once a year for cricket from London to Manchester is just over two hours. It's double the distance from London to Portsmouth. And London to Portsmouth is just under two hours on the fastest train. So I've, I've never quite understood this, this you know, again, I, I'm talking to a friend of mine who's based in Manchester when, when this news broke, his playback to me was, well, I never really wanted to get to Birmingham 20 minutes quicker anyway. Um, you know, whereas I think, you know, if you and again it's like oh, i've got a friend who's in the north but you know his kind of thing was well if you want to get from manchester across to leeds or you know in terms of rail network um you know there, there seems to be i still think hs2 was always very london centric wasn't it it was always like well people will want to get to london faster whereas i'm not sure that Yeah, the, like,
0: i mean well, Am I barking uh, see, up the wrong I, tree here? See, to me, if you were really, if you really wanted to talk about levelling up communities, and um, I appreciate probably to people in the north, it sounds probably sounds um, a, a bit locally focused for for us to be concerned about uh, basically the connections of Portsmouth. But we are kind of like really the you know the we are the poorer of our of our um, of our local conurbations. But in regards to the north as a, as a kind of vast swathe of not very well connected parts of parts of the country that you can interact or or travel between very easily without hopping on a motorway Um, those are things that are based on decades of of kind of poor decisions and really actually you needed but you needed both Um, if if you had a high speed line that happened to go from um, Leeds to London um, not everybody would go from Leeds to London. They'd stop off at Birmingham or wherever and forgive my poor geography about what other, what other places they, they might go to um, instead. Yeah. But the fact that it's there increase, it adds capacity to the network um, and allows people to make better choices about whether to hop in a car or whether to, um, frankly, to end up hopping in a plane, which seems completely bonkers in a country the size of the UK, to to hop in a plane to kind of travel to different parts of it, but people do. Um so, but again, I think these decisions need to be made by uh, made by local people because the, the people, you know, national governments in London don't really kind of understand what what the requirements are are of the pe- of the people in those areas, and that's why I think the better thing overall is giving them the power and the, and the money to be able to be able to do it. If we had the power and the money to make transport decisions in Portsmouth, for example, you'd you'd kind of be looking at things like light rail or trams or whatever to help take some of the cars off the road so that when someone does decide to close and dig up one of the three roads in and out of the city because there's a broken sewage pipe, um, (laughs) um, that actually there are other ways to get around the city and just taking some cars off the road is the only way to improve congestion. People aren't stuck in congestion, they are the congestion. So. I'll get. I'll get off my soapbox.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a fascinating little aside. You know that that I I think what it showed, uh, and again, you know, with the the the, Carmageddon on that 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 Monday was that, just how many people mm. live on the island but work off the island. Yeah. Um. Because what what we got to was effectively, there were no routes on and no routes off, and. You know all of those cars just you know the m27 became a car park uh, it spread back through Cosham and up over the hill as people were trying to find routes to to you know either get into portsmouth to work or get out of portsmouth to work um yeah so it, it is fascinating how that dynamics changed to, of people driving to work so mm-hmm. let's move on to the next one this one feels like a little bit you know something and nothing you you know rishi loves his maths so this was about the um effectively the eventual scrapping of the a level and the t level it was the education reform act yeah so there'll be an advanced british standard which is what you'll study between 16 and 18 and it will be maths plus four other subjects um uh, but and I think this is one where we can we can have a light touch discussion, because from what I read about the legislation is this is sort of the, the opening salvo in something that is very unlikely to get onto the statutes for at least a decade.
0: Um, I mean, this is the weird thing, right, is that this is so unlikely to actually still be even a thing um, in a year's time, because, you know, it's it's going to be cancelled by someone, right? Um. Whether whether it's the next Conservative Prime Minister or it's this Conservative Prime Minister or it's the next Labour Prime Minister, it's 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 going to get cancelled because yeah, because what what the country is really crying out for is for people to spend another two years studying a, a subject that that, that they hate. Um, if anything, from my anecdotal observation of the workplace over the last. De- few decades, is that yes? There, there, um, more education is is needed around maths, but it's not to the level that this seems to be aiming at. It's actually some. To be honest, it's, it's actually pretty basic levels of maths that don't need to be whatever is whatever you could recall at yep. any level. Um, it's actually kind of simple stuff like under under not me funny understanding percentages, understanding budgets, understanding how mortgages work. Um, all of those sorts of things would be much more useful um, that don't need to be a, a, some form of higher education. Um, so I, I, I see this as just another review mm-hmm. or, or not just another top down policy of of um, of higher education this time that is just going to take more time and energy away from teachers actually doing teaching which is what they keep saying they want to be doing but they're not being allowed to do it. Do you include the preparation of bar <laughs> graphs in that? In that? Um, well of, of course an improvement in basic Ooh. level of maths understanding would help people not put out spurious bar graphs regardless of what political persuasion they may or may not have. Marvellous so, so we've, got a couple, um, we've got a
1: couple more to go through. Um, football regulation who cares? Oh, okay. We're going to move on from that. It's oh, okay. no, I didn't understand it. We're going to kick There's that no off then. no chance of you. Um, uh, housing reform. Um, so an end to no fault um They keep talking no fault about revictions. doing this. Why don't they just do it? Um, a, yeah. A strengthening of, um, of the ability of a landlord to evict antisocial tenants and then a change in leasehold um, in terms of New houses that will be built will not be sold with leaseholds and an adjustment to, I think, when they sell you a flat, the length of the leasehold. All seem like pretty sensible stuff to me. Anything in there you can get erated
0: about? As I I said, um, sorry, as my interruption was, um, the the government have been talking about ending no-fault evictions for for several years. They've had an 80-seat majority for four years why why haven't they done it yet? Can they just get on with it? Um, the the reason why there's problems in the in the private rental market is is because of a lack of um, a lack of support and regulation to help both uh, both good tenants and help good landlords um, deal with the bad yeah. tenants and the bad landlords, and that's that you know that's fundamentally the problem and the reason why the private rental sector is is probably in the mess that it's in, other than the lack of regulation. Um, is the lack of housing (laughs) um so i I, I find i'm always bemused by a a a party that keeps talking about how market forces and their experts in the the market and uh, free markets and the economy don't seem to understand that if there's no supply but lots of demand prices go up so rather than uh, uh, i'm sure the issue about leasehold um it it is a particular issue to to some people My, my flats leasehold um i'm not going to be around either way when the lease um when the lease expires um whether whether it's 99 years or 999 years it's not going to make any difference to me to be frank um so those things might well be important but the bigger thing is the reason why the housing sector is a mess is because there aren't enough houses being built yeah
1: no and i and i guess it's, uh, uh, there, there is an element of of uh, the, the, you know, the whole housing crisis, we've touched on it many times on this show. It, it, it's uh, it, it's another one of those ones that everybody agrees it should be fixed. Yeah, they want fixed, them but somewhere else. They, they, it's, it's like so, with
0: cars, isn't it? Everybody wants other yeah. people to give up their cars, but not you know, it to be someone else. And likewise with housing, everyone wants there to be more housing, but they don't want it to to be where they are. And there, there's a fair bit to that argument where, yeah. you know, we could take the new town approach to that, but that requires I- investment in infrastructure, right? Which is, again, it's just this lack of joined up thinking. It's
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, and even with the new town, you know, you look at uh, out of the back of Fairham, you know, Wellborn has been on the cards for 10, 15 years you know, in terms of the space is there, the land is there, the will is yeah, there, but somehow they still It's been going on so their, long, they're going to gonna call it, it well-retired. Well-retired. Maybe it'll end up as a retirement village. Right. So we've got a couple more to cover. So a lot of stuff around mm. law and order, as you might expect.
0: Leaflet writing.
1: Um, so and uh, the, the return of, of whole life tariffs for some murderers, there was some there was uh, there was definitely been some backwards and forwards over previous decades over whether you can issue somebody whether it is humane to issue somebody a whole life tariff um, there is a change in the approach for rapists and serious sex offenders who previously could have been let out on license after 50 percent of their sentence that has um that's now they're looking to wipe that off the statute books um an interesting one from the civil liberties perspective which is something when i read about i didn't realize that police currently if they see you steal somebody's bag in the street and they chase you back into your house and you slam the door in their face they can't pursue you into the house even if they have reasonable suspicion that you have committed a crime so they've got to wait outside or and uh and have a warrant. So now with reasonable suspicion they can come in after you. And the final bit, um, which again this one looks like gesture politics with me, without wanted to list, lead the witness. Um, there's been a rise in serious criminals who are refusing to attend their sentencing hearing. So usually at sentencing victim impact statements are read out and a number of um of high profile crimes recently, the um the the guilty person has refused to attend their hearing, the police can now use reasonable force to drag you there, or if they can't do that, then it's you get an additional two years
0: on your sentence.
1: So, some some interesting um, bits in there. So, some...
0: I mean, the thing about life tariffs, um, it's absolutely bonkers that, um, that you know that for, for crimes you can get you know you'd be able to reduce your tariff by fifty percent. Um, of the time that that's kind of absolutely crazy on the flip side of that um if we believe that part of prison's function is that um people can change um and that uh, and that basically mm. they can learn from their mistakes no matter how horrendous then you know basically just chucking them in jail and throwing away the key isn't necessarily right but again there will be people that commit crimes in such a way that actually do you know what it's it and there will also be people that won't change so I think the presumption of yep. the the fundamental for me the fundamental issue is the presumption of being able to get um get fifty percent of your of your tariff off doesn't doesn't um doesn't sit well because so I can understand that being changed but change changing changing tariffs and changing uh changing um probation um mechanisms is what is one thing but sadly there's a very, very small percentage of people that actually get convicted or even charged with certain offences, and especially um, sexual assault offences. So uh, uh, so in that respect, I I don't know how much of that is serious and useful or just playing to the gallery and and kind of headline writing for, for certain papers. But actually catching people and convicting them is the it, it, even under yep. the existing tariff structure is 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 surely a much more useful thing to do to improve the safety safety of the well, public?
1: Yeah, un, unfortunately, and again, there's a lot of research into this that you know, as a crime, it, it, it is you know often the crime is committed when only two people are present, um, the accuser and the accused, and obviously within the British justice system you know, the threshold of beyond reasonable doubt um, still applies. And and that's why there is such a a low conviction rate. But I think for me, uh, and again, it's something which I I find deeply offensive, you know, when we have got when there is overwhelming evidence that somebody is guilty, they are convicted. Um, You know, and, and, again, I don't want to be mansplaining on behalf of women, but that that is a that is something that will stay Mm. with somebody for the rest of their lives. And when somebody gets a ten-year sentence, and is out on licence after five, no, that that no. doesn't feel right to me. And so I think you know, it's, in, in yeah. that regard, um, the, yeah, um, the,
0: yeah. To to yeah, to me, how long you get sent to prison is only really an effective deterrent if you truly believe that you're gonna. If there's a there's a chance that you're gonna get caught, you can get caught. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. So so with your mm. with your civil liberties head on, um. How do you feel about the Rosas chasing you down the street and being able to follow you into your house with you brandishing your stolen mobile phone? Is that pragmatism? So, or do you, do you wanna, until you, you actually know.
0: said it, it sounded like something you'd expect to see on a Facebook group of, and it being one of those, what we used to call urban myths, that's basically you'd think would be just actually Facebook bullshit. Mm. Um, oh, they can't arrest you if you're on your own driveway, even if you've driven your car through three traffic cones on the way home because you're pissed out your head. All those, those, those sorts of things. Um, if mm. it's a thing and it's not a power that's... A, so for me, the concern would be, is that is there a chance that that might be misused um, by by the police but bearing yep. in mind that you know a huge amount of them are going to be wearing body cameras these days um, you know may, may, maybe not but if that's a real thing that's kind of leading that's stopping them and um, uh, pursuing those crimes uh, again, I'd wonder how many of those crimes where that you know the situation that you, you that you cited. Not does that really happen these days? Are there actually police around at the time to actually spot that happening and therefore chase that person to that house? I I, I don't know. I don't have the, I don't have the numbers on it, so I might be talking complete factious no, stuff. No, but I would police.
1: I would suggest that with CCTV now it is yeah. it is much easier to to track people, isn't it? And the police use of drones as well. Um, you know, again, if they're able to track a, somebody back to their home and, and it is the, the truth that if they uh, unless the police believe have reasonable suspicion that another crime is being committed in the house at the time, they, they don't have power of entry um, just based on suspicion. So that one looks that one looks reasonable dragging the guilty person up to the doctor get
0: them to hear their medicine i I think the reasonable force thing is just going to fall over the first minute a lawyer gets involved so it's not i can't see that really really happening and uh i mean you know if you want to go back to the 1970s and and kind of beat someone into submission to go kind of into the go into the dock that's not kind of what we're talking about is it i i i wonder whether in all practicality that's ever that's ever going to happen but but someone facing um, sentencing consequences from not being willing to literally face justice. Um, I, I think that's yep. a, I think that's a fair and reasonable thing. If, I, if I'm really honest, I... yeah, no, I, I think I think it's,
1: and I guess it's that it, it says to our earlier thing, doesn't it? If you're going to get a whole life tariff, then giving yeah. you an extra two years probably doesn't matter. So we'll cover the and this one grabbed a lot of headlines, and um, again, it's a bit of a civil liberties issue, or is it a health issue and Where does the government... So the age for smoking, it's going to go up one year every year so that anybody who's 14 at the moment will never legally be able to buy cigarettes.
0: Having worked in retail um, many, many years ago, Mm. there is absolutely no bloody way anyone is ever going to be able to enforce this. Unless unless you start asking for ID from everybody that comes to buy cigarettes... How are you possibly going to gonna be able to tell whether the person that was born the year after this thing came into force or the year before this oh. thing came into force unless you literally just start asking for ID on every single occasion, which I, which I guess is possibly reasonable. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, smoking is obviously really bad for you uh, and, you know, sensible people should, yep. you know, I mean, I I used to smoke, so I can be a hypocrite here, I guess but i but there are also lots yep. of other things that we consume legally or indeed that are consumed illegally that aren't necessarily healthy or mm. that are unhealthy um i i i think that this is incompatible with the idea of look you let people you you inform people of the risks they take that informed risk and you tax and regulate um in order in order to make sure that um that people are uh, basically making those decisions in an informed way and that it's um, kept out of the ha- kept out of the hands of uh, of children um yeah you i i just don't i'd see this falling on a practicality it just seems a weird one it's a very very kind of where did this come from as a as a kind of like an argument it's not yeah, it it, g- it, it's something i could see a different party not not the conservative party i could see um, mm. d- you know a, a much smaller party possibly kind of arguing for i don't i don't think but yeah, i just don't see it working i just don't that's the yeah, problem it's... for me with a lot of these things in this speech i just don't see them working
1: yeah i mean this one i think lacks practicalities i think it's one that i can't see anybody standing against you know there's going to be the vocal minority of you know, forest, I think it is, who right to enjoy smoking tobacco. Um, I, I can see I can see that kind of libertarian angle, but I can't see anybody getting aerated enough to to vote against it. I think like you, my my concern isn't around practicalities, it's around the fact that as far as I'm aware, the smoking of marijuana is still illegal. But if you stroll the streets of Portsmouth in any of the main conurbations. The air is maybe heavy maybe and that's with the it. the um, um,
0: most most it's not a food or a drink producer. Maybe that's I mean that's the farming that takes place in the city. Um... that could be that could be the possibly there are there are farms there. So there you go. We've we've been on a whistle
1: stop tour of uh of two major events. Or, or well one's one's gonna happen on Tuesday and the other may or may not happen over the mm. next twelve months. So I only what, be do you, seven do you think it signifies anything for
0: when the ta- what the timing is of the general?
1: No, no, no. I think the, the I, I I mean my my thoughts on the general at the moment is I I think everybody has stopped listening to the the. I don't think it would matter what was in this bill. I think I think people I think the electorate generally are fed up with the conservatives. I think even the conservatives are fed up with what passes for conservatism at the moment i i am i am unfortunately resigned to the fact that the next election is going to be a massacre for the conservatives and you know i it, it is an element of whether we see a centrist labor running the country or whether when they've got the keys to number 10 they lurch left only time will tell but i think I think Rishi will hang on for as long as he can, hoping that, that the tide will turn. Um, but I, I think I think it's if you want my. 10 shillings on the
0: table i think it's an october election we well, certainly got year. nothing to gain at this point from from going early so unless something drastic happens and look it's a look in 2019 yeah. after 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 the results of that election people were talking about it would take basically decades for labor to be in a position where they um, where they could potentially even form a minority government a- again and here we are 4 years later um, looking at that being extremely likely, not that anybody should be complacent because the electorate do what the electorate want to do. Well, I think <laughs> they should. So um, I yeah, should. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the PM is going to leave it as late as possible to um, to call the election. But it, it does. I, I did wonder at some point whether they were going to go for May next year to tie it in with the locals. But I, I, I think. It's more likely that it's going to be autumn next oh, year. Absolutely. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics podcast.
1: I've been um, Ian and Tiny I Morris. Been
0: Simon Sandsbury. Please do join us next week at six twenty-seven, where we will be joined by Councillor Matthew Winnington, who is the cabinet member on Portsmouth City Council for um, health and well-being, and he will be talking to us about the Pharmacy Summit that is also happening next week in Portsmouth. So um, come back to us then. Uh, do. Uh, Do remember please to like, follow, subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on the episode and please do drop us a comment or a review um, if you can't send biscuits or tea.
1: Yep, and give
0: us five stars because we are Um, good. We're not at all biased, but yeah, please do. Um, And see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows, and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, stop. See? It's easy.